0: Welcome into the latest episode of the 5 Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick here as always with Chris Winningham. Now that you found us, make sure that you hit the subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast provider. That way you'll get all of our old episodes as well as all of our new episodes as soon as they post. Also check out the 12 other podcasts and the 5 Reasons Podcast. Sports network, including three yards per carry, which broke more Dolphins news that Adam Gase will confirm in about six days uh, on their latest episode. Also, and we're going to talk a lot about this today. Miami Heat beat also swings and misses with Craig Mish and Jeremy Tache. Goldie on Ice will be back next week covering the Panthers and all of our other podcasts. Also, we're going to mention this later in the show, but certainly come out on Monday to the Jason Taylor Foundation Ping-Pong Tournament that's going to be at Hard Rock in Hollywood. A lot of us will be playing. We'll have a presence there, and it is a great time for a great cause. All right, today we're going to do something totally different. Uh, Whittingham is not my co-host today. Um, he, he's, I, I, I'm disowning him. It's only taken about 165 episodes <laughs> but, plus two years of a radio show, but I'm, I'm putting him in the hot seat today with two other guests and I'm just going to moderate this thing. And we're going to talk about the heat and the reason we're going to talk about the heat is because our episodes on the Heat do better than anything else. That's the real reason. But uh, also, I feel like we just haven't done it in a while, and I feel like I want to do it differently. So we brought on two of the six thousand two hundred twenty-eight cast members of Miami Heat beat. Brian going unfair. It's thirteen. It, it's thirteen. It's fourteen, isn't it? Fourteen. It was fourteen for a while. Okay, it was fourteen. All right, we'll go with <laughs> we'll go with thirteen. Uh, one of the we'll co think found- out in post. Oh, I mean, you could be part of it too, Ethan. Well, I'll well have- be. I haven't decided to write. Well, I have written for it yet. Actually, we broke some Butler news on there. <laughs> so we've got the uh, we've got one of the co-founders of Miami Heat Beat, Brian Goins, um, who as as he has talked about, basically started this uh, in the basement of his basement. And Jack Alfonso, you can catch him at Alfonso Hoops. How many um, Twitter accounts is that for you, Jack? Because I can't keep track. I, I'm I'm tired of trying to follow you in various places.
1: Just the two now. One of them has gone, so just the one. All right. Just at Alfonso one. Hoops.
0: At Alfonso Hoops and at Die Brian Goines. And what we're going to do today, how old are all of you? Give, give me your birth date. Winningham, you start.
2: Uh, August 21st,
3: 1992. Brian? June 15th, 1994. Jesus Christ. Jack? June 18th, 1997. Oh, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> My goodness. I think our group games are close.
0: I think he's the youngest person in the whole network, isn't he? I think so. Um, I think he's I got Tito be. and Jeremy beat, actually. God damn it! You're half my age, well, less than half. <laughs> all, right, all right, so 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 we've we've got a 1992, we've got a 1994, and we've got a 1997. And I thought been, I was
2: going to be part of the young people. I'm still old. You're still old. I'm yeah, still,
0: you're still old. You're still stay old. Stay washed. And, and you act older than me. You Stay washed. That's right. <laughs> washed wedding Um, so basically, I've been covering the heat since 1996. Okay, so that predates Jack's birth. Brian was was two, and Whittingham was four. And uh, I have a little bit of a different perspective on this stuff. And what I kind of want to cover with you guys today is you guys came up when it was all good, right? And not just good, great, like, as great as any organization has ever had it. Okay. uh, Until we got to the warriors recently, but just in terms of being the center of the basketball universe, not being the center of the sports universe, being the center of the sports and society universe, they were the most important team in the world for a three or four year period. The heat were and won two of their three championships, three championships over seven years. And now they're dull as hell. They're stuck in the middle. They don't have a top 40 player. We're not really clear how they're going to get out of this unless Minnesota gets so desperate at this point that they're able to get Jimmy Butler. And what I want to get into with you guys today is,
1: has it changed for you? Because you've only known good.
0: How do you sort of put in perspective the position that they're in right now?
1: Well, they're definitely in the most questionable position that they've ever been in in my sports watching career. Um, Anything before Dwayne Wade, basically, I just wasn't old enough to be aware of that. I'm still pretty confident in the organization. You can talk about Pat Riley making questionable moves, but Eric Spolstra is really the guy for me. They have an elite coach who's not going anywhere. And you can't really say that about most of the other teams that we consider like stuck in mediocrity, like the Kings or the Suns, any of those teams. They just don't have that high caliber coach. And it's not going to take them to like that far in the playoffs this year, but long term, they have that guy leading the way. So. I'm still pretty confident in the organization.
3: Brian, are
0: Heat fans spoiled at this point?
3: I think it's a mix of them, like, just craving, like the transaction more than anything else. Uh, I, I've kind of alluded to this before. They're just gluttonous to like constant stimuli in that sense, like they just want a move to happen just for the sake of having something just go on with the team. I, I know the team's been kind of up and down over the last three, four or five seasons since we started Heat and it's been kind of fun just like watching them trying to figure out what kind of identity they want to fig- like just get playing into action. But it's kind of evident that this a lot of the fans just want a move to be done. Uh, whether it's Jimmy Butler or not, there's so much to be left out there for a team to kind of break apart the current roster they have.
0: But Chris, my thing about that is, is this. The big three, so they had the big transactions in the summer of 2010, and then there weren't that many transactions after that, right? Like, I mean, there was uh, there was Battier in 2011, there was Chris Anderson during the season. There was Ray Allen. And, and there was Ray Allen after two years, and then there were Beasley and Odin the third year, uh, and and and, Amnesty and Mike Miller. But I feel like there was enough other, you guys use the word still. Stimuli. There were there was enough other stimuli with those teams like more again than any team in history, in my view, that you didn't need the transaction at this point at that point. Right. But now it feels like that's really all that he fans are hanging on for.
2: Yeah, I I will say, as much as I am the guy that says 43 and 39 all the time, it's still 43 and 39. Like, there are the Minnesota Timberwolves who are, like, as much as we're talking about them with Jimmy Butler right now, like, them being the eight seed last year is a marked improvement over where they've been, and yet it's still not good enough to really get you anywhere near championship territory, and they will feel, again, like, even with Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins, like, they're not going to be towards the playoffs. So, I'm not saying that this is... Bad, what I'm saying is is it's as you mentioned, dull. And I think right now it shows no signs of a future. and that is the problem, and that's what Brian's talking about with the desire for a move is that right now you don't see an easy way out of this because you have bad contracts because you don't have your 2021 pick which uh, which for the heat is frankly a step up on where they've been just by virtue of the fact that they've given away you know lots of future picks before so this is actually a positive step in terms of how many draft picks they have but it just doesn't feel like there's a way out of this mediocrity because generally the league rewards you either be really good or really bad but don't be in the middle and that's where the heat are and where I feel like they will continue to be until they make this big move. And I think one of the things that happens with this city and with cities like Los Angeles and New York is they feel like it's untapped potential. That because so much of the league wants to be in those places, how is it possible that those teams are bad? How How is it possible for three years that the Lakers are bad when LeBron James wanted to be there in his heart of hearts? When it seems like Kevin Durant has a chance to go to the New York Knicks almost exclusively because of its location, not because of of the organization. If you measure the organization, the Knicks wouldn't get anybody. But the, it's New York, and Miami is one of those places where it feels like if you were in the game – I heard uh, some national pundits talking about this. I think it was um, – it was on Bill Simmons' podcast with Brian Windhorst, which are two of the arch nemesis of of the, of Miami Heat fans. But they were saying, "Well, it's kind of a pity that Miami isn't good right now or isn't desirable right now because they'd be in on on all these conversations. Whether you know, like, if they had better assets, maybe it's Jimmy Butler or, or obviously their willingness to part with them. But with with Durant, maybe be, you know, deciding, you know, what I may I might not want to just sort of glom onto this thing in Golden State. That if Miami were a desirable location right now, you'd be in that game, and Miami kind of willingly taking themselves out of that game has, I think, been the most frustrating part. Yeah, I think for a lot of
0: of Heat fans it is, and that's why you and I have been so hard on what Riley did in 2017 and and 2016 to a degree, and my theory on that is that, you know, basically the way that the big three left and not just the big three, but the way that Chalmers left the way that Ray Allen left the way that James Jones left the way that Mike Miller left, like everybody left angry. And so I think as a result of that, you know, when there were players who were like, Oh, heat culture, I totally buy into it. I love it. I love Pat. I love the whole organization. It's like, okay, here's $40 million. Like I, that's sort of how it played out in my view. And that because they wanted to reward these guys and to sort of make amends around the league, but I want to cycle back on something a little bit. So Jack, you're in Indiana and Brian, you're in Orlando, right? So yeah. before we go on, because I, I, there's something about this town I want to get into with you. Go through your backgrounds a little bit of sort of where you've lived and how you became attracted to this team.
1: All right. Well, I grew up in Fort Lauderdale, was originally huge Marlins fan, huge baseball fan. Then the Miggy trade happened and ever since then kind of committed fully to basketball. Helped that they got LeBron soon after. Um, Dwayne Wade doesn't hurt. Um, Bosh doesn't hurt. And the Dolphins being perpetually horrible um, doesn't hurt. But, yeah, basically Miami Heat were the only game in town.
3: Uh, I started watching uh, sports in 2003. I actually start off with the Marlins, Start off in the World Series. I didn't even know what sports was until my dad kind of like just – picked up a lot of uh, newspapers and he tossed me the sports section. I just remember like reading every single like story, watching every single game and uh, kind of just slowly gravitating towards all, all the teams in, in South Florida, the Heat being one of them. And then just that year, having Dwayne Wade drafted that season, them going the playoffs, then the year after trading for Shaq, it just kind of all uh, fell in line for me to, to just, you know, gain a passion for sports and in particular Miami sports. I've lived in Miami till I was about 18. I moved to New York, uh, went to St. John's University for a year before I decided to transfer UCF, go Knights. And no, I, I just, ever since then, I'm like, I, I followed the Heat. Obviously, we started uh, a network together with Giancarlo Navas. My, uh,
0: You were not supposed to say that name
3: on the <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to call him the co-founder of Heat, but... Um, don't. <laughs> <laughs> don't. Or no. we have a strain our relationship every once in a while.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, 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 can, I can't even spell any of the words that you just said, so it's that's, okay. That's
3: part of the reason why,
0: yeah. No, Long I can't. Can, five, can, five reasons, five reasons. <laughs> now, but the reason I'm asking this question because, and I know Chris's background on this a little bit. The The reason I'm asking this question is because it has struck me that anybody in this town under 35 or 40 has not known the Dolphins to have any success and and is just on the fringe of the Hurricanes having real success. And so all they know is the Heat having success. And that's why this topic is interesting to me because I'm curious now, like with Dolphin fans, like what we're finding, even doing Dolphin pods, me writing for Dolphin Maven, doing other stuff is that like a lot of Dolphin fans are just checking out right now. Like it's like they they were three and Oh, they're four and four. They don't have a quarterback. Adam GaSe has been a disappointment in my view, um, and so they're really not going anywhere. There's no plan, and so they're just checked out. Like there's just an apathy that's overtaken them. Do you think that there will be apathy from Heat fans of your generation if they can't get anywhere close to the kind of excitement that they had between, say, 2010 and
1: 2014? Well, I th- think <laughs> that's, that's an impossible. <laughs> Um, I think they can still be pretty exciting. Like it's we talk about how bad they've been, but really, two thousand and sixteen was just a couple of years ago, and they were one game away from the Eastern Conference Finals. That was a really fun team that people liked. If they can do that with some relative consistency and maybe have a little more upside year to year, um, they're a few years off from that right now. But if they can get to that level, which I think they can with Spolstra, I think they have the interest of sports fans, especially, if you consider that the fact that the dolphins are probably going to continue their mediocrity, the Marlins aren't going anywhere and the Panthers are play hockey. So
2: <laughs> I guess my, my vantage point on this would be that I agree with Brian's point earlier, which was it's apathetic until the next transaction. And I've said that the heat were, you know, locked themselves into being the six seed when after they signed the Kelly Olinick contract. And I didn't think they had enough that was attractive, but I think you're starting to see that there are situations where teams enter low-leverage situations with superstars, as the Minnesota Timberwolves, in my opinion, are right now, and that's enough to get the heat into the game and you've seen and we've seen in our network how voraciously the content gets consumed when there's even a whiff of a big move and I think the difference between what the Heat can do versus what those other teams can do is that one big move uh, might just be enough right like if Jimmy Butler gets signed that might be enough to get them to to the Eastern Finals or you know in, in towards this upper echelon of the conference whereas the Panthers as much as you talk about how they play hockey, like they had a $150 million offseason. It seemed like nobody even noticed and it didn't even make that massive of an impact in terms of them being a playoff team. Uh, you know, the the Miami Marlins just made two huge international signings that a lot of teams were after in the victors. The Dolphins, uh, yeah, they've made big moves before. Like, they've gone for and Sue. They've gone for Brandon Marshall and Mike Wallace. And, like, they've tried to make these splash signings that don't come off, but at the very least, they get into the headlines. But it seems like the difference between those sports and this sport is if you make that headline-grabbing move, it can bring you towards the top almost guaranteed like there isn't a universe in which Jimmy Butler gets traded to the heat and they get worse or they're bad or the same as they are now like Jimmy Butler will make a positive impact on this team that will make them interesting and perhaps get them in the game with future stars so I think this period that they're in is only only lasts as long as the next star and I've like as much as you know Jack you talked about how the Miguel Cabrera trade has you out like to me it's the Astros right like if you said a couple of years ago that the Astros we're going to have a massive fan base and be selling out, you know, every game, including in the regular season, you'd have thought they were crazy because they basically bankrupted a cable sports network and no one cared about the Astros, but it's only as as successful as your plan is, right? If you get a successful team, I don't think there's a universe in, you, in which you really, genuinely lose fans. Like, the Hurricanes fans came back after 15 years because they had one 10-0 start. Like, they had 60,000 for a game against Virginia at home. Like, you would have thought that was unthinkable, but... That can change so quickly, and for the Heat, it really is just as long as their next move. We'll get back to the episode here in a second, but first, I want to tell you about another great sponsor
0: of the Five Reason Sports Network, and that is BetDSI.com, and the best way to get through what's been kind of a lackluster sports season here in South Florida is to bet on the games, bet the point spreads, bet the money lines, bet the over-unders, do the live betting during the game like a crazy person like Chris does here, where basically <laughs> teams down 12 at the half against the Heat, but you know the third quarter's coming up, so it's going to be Not tied. the third to- quarter, the third quarter. The, the third, third quarter's, quarter's coming. So you can bet against the Heat in that particular situation, or you know that they're going to fall behind by 20 against Charlotte, so maybe they'll make up a little bit of ground in the fourth quarter. We'll see how that plays out. Chris, what are some other props there, at betdsi.com.
2: Yeah, for me, the thing that's going on this weekend that I'm most intrigued by are what I would call the minus-anything teams. So Alabama, for me, has been a minus-anything. No matter who they're playing, no matter how much they're favored by, bet Alabama, because they're probably going to win and win by a lot, and yet... I think this is the, the biggest test of it. This weekend they're at LSU and they're 14 and a half point favorites against the number three team in the country. They beat the hell out of Miami. So uh, I, I still think you go for Alabama and then you have uh, Kansas City and the Rams who for me are also minus anything teams. The Rams are actually plus something this weekend because they're in New Orleans and that's such a tough place to play that they have them as an underdog. So that's what I'm looking at over at BetDSI.com this weekend. If you want to bet along with me, use the promo code REASON101 at checkout and get up to matched. All right. So if that's the case and it's just about the next
0: move, then as much as Jack talked earlier about Spolstra, it's really about Riley, right? I mean, because that's where this comes back to is this faith that Pat is going to make a big splash move. And this gets to my next question about the last two years, because since 2013, when he signed, well, let's even go back a year since 2012, when they signed Ray Allen. Okay. And that was after, The uh, the Chris Anderson move. So since that point, in my view, they've had at least if you go 2013 through 2017, at least four, in my view, either bad or nothing off seasons. They had one that I thought was decent. okay, which was basically the re-signing of Goran and the team that they took into uh, that 15, 16 season with the drafting of Richardson and Winslow. But there are other ones. I mean, 2013 was basically Amnesty, Mike Miller, and bring in Beasley and Odin. 2014 was, you know, we know what happened. (laughs) 2014, even before LeBron left, okay? It was Granger and McRoberts, right? So that was not a particularly good offseason, regardless of what happened with LeBron. And that, that, you know, disqualifies it from the very beginning. 2015, I mentioned, was better. 2016, not great, because I thought they did a really good job in terms of Andy and the group lining up all those signings on the short deals, but they killed it with the Tyler match. And that may have been Mickey, but they still killed it with the Tyler match. And then additionally, they lost Dwayne Wade, which we can argue about the specifics of that. But obviously, for the franchise, it was not a great thing at the time. And they decided to keep Whiteside, which I was in favor of at the time, but obviously it hasn't worked out. And then 2017, was disastrous in every way, in my view. And then 2018, they couldn't do anything. I mean, they brought Dwayne back, which is a good move for a lot of reasons, mostly for marketing reasons. And then they brought Wayne back at one year, but they weren't able to move because of previous mistakes. So if we're counting on Riley to make the move that Chris is talking about, have either of you lost faith in Pat Riley, Brian and Jack?
1: I'm, I've lost a little faith in him. I worry about his patience and maybe his decision on... uh what's worth going all in for and that's kind of the problem we're in right now is that he's decided to go in all in on a few different teams and they still have money in those different teams the first one you have goron he spent two picks on goron um he paid him a decent amount of money and he paid us on and hypothetically that would have been a good team if Bosch didn't get into his um, unforeseeable health issues um but they still have money tied up there um They tied up money in that Dion James Johnson core, um, which is, I think, undebatably the worst move they've made. And yeah, that's the situation they're in right now is they've gone all in on a couple of players who were either questionable or clearly not worth it. So you do have to have some doubt about his ability to um, measure value and not jump on the quickest opportunity. Um, to get a player of some renown.
3: This is hard because I think Riley sees that there's not many transactions between now and 2020 that can bring the Heat back to some sort of uh, level of competency to to compete for championships, which he always talks about year in, year out. as his goal. Even if the Heat did trade for Jimmy Butler, it wouldn't be enough for um to you know make a make a make a run for for a championship, and they wouldn't have money in free agency to either this season or next offseason um to get anybody like a Kyrie Irving or a Kevin Durant um they're they're basically lined up for 2020, which could be nothing because you have no idea if Giannis wants to stay in Milwaukee, you don't know if Anthony Davis thinks that New Orleans has found a, a good mix of players that meets his Meets his abelian standards. And I kind of have to go back to like all the misses that Raleigh has had in past offseasons. And I know it's, it hasn't been just these past offseasons. It's been, uh, we can we look back at those, um, the trade that they almost made for Mitch Richmond, the signing of, uh, of Tracy McGrady that they, they were pretty close to landing. Obviously, the pitches for Kevin Durant, Gordon Hayward didn't land like they wanted to, but they were up there. Um, he's at an age where we don't know how much longer he has it in him to continue. We know the stories of him wanting to retire to Malibu. Um, I don't know what, like we want to find a way to perfectly send off Riley and this like storybook ending um, kind of like guns blazing moment, but how do we get there and how much time does he have left? <laughs> Cause he's, he's up there in age right now.
0: Well, he is. And, you know, I go back to a conversation I had with him, you know, the, the, the only sit down I've ever gotten in his office, which was, you know, after LeBron left and, he, he thought he'd calmed down enough that he could do the sit down with me. And then when he started talking about LeBron, it was clear he hadn't, which I was happy about because the quotes were really good. But, but basically, you know, it, during that, we talked about when the end would come. And, and he said that the way he wanted it to end was that he'd win a championship and then he'd, he'd basically fly to Paris that nobody would even find him in the postgame locker room or anywhere else, that he would just get on a plane with his wife, Chris, and disappear. And that was the magical ending. And then I feel like something's happened since then, because that conversation now is three years ago. And I feel like, you know, the, the Dwayne thing scarred him to a certain degree. Like, sure. you know, and, and just the way that that played out, because the thing about it was this town never turned against Pat for anything. I mean, if you go all the way back to 96, you know, and the moves for Zoe and everything else that happened and losing to the Knicks, I mean, again, this predates you guys. I mean, this is sort of hard for me to believe because I covered every game of all of those playoff series. But if you go to those Heat-Knicks series, like those were monumental failures. Like people, you know, look at that as, you know, nostalgically now, like, oh, that was incredible. You know, it wasn't incredible basketball. It was horrible basketball, but it was incredible competition uh, between those teams to have four series go to the last game uh, four years in a row. And to have the brawls, and to have the controversies, and to have you know Anthony Carter making a shot over the backboard, and and everything else that happened in those series. And Mashburn, in my view, as I said, of Miami, he beat correctly passing up the shot to Clarence Weatherspoon, and all of the other things that happened. But when you really break it down, the Heat were the higher-seeded team four straight years and won one series, and nobody killed Pat for it. It was just like to be there was enough to be in those series, like when they got to 2006, he'd been here for a decade without winning a championship and nobody killed him for it. Right? Like he had stepped away, Stan had come in, he'd come back. And I feel like the Dwayne thing was the first time. And so you're talking about 20 years into his tenure here that people went against Pat Riley in this town because he was going up against a figure that was more popular than him, which was the only time that that could ever possibly happen. People took Pat's side against LeBron. Okay. Okay but didn't take it against Dwayne. And so I think that that scarred him. I think that's what led to what we saw last summer, which was problematic. And I think that's the position they're in now. And everything I hear, and I can tell you that media friends of mine who are still tied to the organization hear the same, is that Pat's in no hurry to go now. Like this is, I mean, he's he's planning on hanging around for a long time. And like you say, Brian, they're looking at 2020. Here's the difference. So it's basically been 10-year intervals. There was the year 2000, you mentioned McGrady. They knew that McGrady, Duncan, and Eddie Jones were all going to be available that summer. Like, it was clear. Those guys were going to be available. There was no question about that. 2010, there was a sense that LeBron might leave Cleveland. There was a belief that Bosh would leave Toronto. There was a belief that Joe Johnson was available. Carlos Boozer was available. All these guys, Amari would be available. All these guys would be available. Like you said, there's no guarantee these guys are going to be available in 2020. And, and I don't know that Giannis is going to want to go to a place like Miami, even though it's a multicultural city, because he seems to like being in Milwaukee. Like, he seems comfortable there, and it looks like he's finally got a coach and with Anthony Davis possible. So I guess I'll turn to Chris. on. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Miami Heat. This now, like, when should Pat, like, we had this conversation with Levitard when we were, when we spoke to him for our pod about Pat, and he said, I'm not saying Pat's lost it, but if you were to sort of compose a narrative that someone had lost it, it would be signing Dion Waiters to four years. So in your view, how long should Pat, be able to dictate the terms of his departure is it you know indefinitely or should it be
2: sooner I, I think it's indefinitely I think he's earned every bit of trust that this fan base has given him I think there was some people that went against him for the Wade thing but like that wasn't universal like I, I mean, obviously everyone was sad to see Dwayne Wade go but I I think there were still people that felt like you know from a money standpoint and from a business standpoint that like that wasn't a dreadful move but I, I, I do sort of understand what you're saying which is that like there is there is always going to be a period in which that credit or that sort of credit he has in the bank is going to evaporate. And I think now is kind of when it's starting to happen with the impatience and with the boredom of the current team and how it's kind of Pat's fault that this is happening. So I think that he has earned every bit of that next chance, right? Because yes, he has not managed to secure Gordon Hayward or secure Kevin Durant, but I feel like his greatest job is not necessarily executing that next move, because I still have confidence he's going to execute the next move. I still have confidence that he has major credibility within the NBA. My sort of quandary right now is, do I think that he can create an attractive enough situation that you're even being considered? And that would be my concern at the moment, is that, yeah, you can get in a room with Kevin Durant, but Golden State's way more attractive. Yeah, you can get a, you can get in a room with, with Gordon Hayward, but Boston's way more attractive. Like, if you're just sort of saying, hey, here's what we can do to build around you. We have enough to trade for Kyrie Irving and still have the Sacramento Kings first-round pick. Like, you're not beating that. And so, that would be my concern at the moment is, can he get to a stage where he is a credible competitor with any of these you know, major teams that are going to go after these major stars. And that would be my concern at the moment is that, like, if you're Philly right now, you can go to a team and say, or you can go to a player and say, hey, you're going to play with Simmons and Embiid. What's the sell right now for Miami? Like, as much as we like Josh Richardson and as much as Justice Winslow can can continue to grow and as much as Bam Adebayo can continue to grow, are they the link to that next star are they, the, are, are they the players that make this situation so attractive that you're in that game? And I just think that at the moment, that would be my concern with Riley is that he can't build that. I have every confidence that if he gets in the room that he can execute, but... I don't think that he's going into the room with the best negotiating position at the moment.
0: We'll get back to our episode here in a second, but first I want to tell you about miss ink.com. That's miss dash I N K.com. It's run by Misty Buck Iglesias and she is a social media problem solver. She does social media marketing and content writing, been doing it for more than 10 years. He's also a big Miami sports fan, including a big Dwayne Wade fan. She believes in personal customized approaches to marketing so she only represents businesses like five and sports that are serious about taking visibility to the next level social media marketing requires much more than just a blog or profiles on a website like facebook or twitter it takes smart strategy and a daily interactive focus she's been leveraging social media for miami businesses since 2008 doesn't believe in cookie cutter strategies or boxing a business in with others in the same industry. So check her out at miss dash ink. That's I N And also if you take out an advertising package with five reasons sports, that's at least three ads somewhere in our network, you will get a free 30 minute phone consultation with Misty so she can help you get set up again. That's miss dash ink.com. Who do you guys think should run the organization next? Jack, who would be your choice of the group that they have currently in place? Because I don't think it's going to be someone from outside the organization.
1: Yeah, I definitely don't think it should be anybody from outside the organization. And if anything, Pat should leave knowing that part of his legacy is that he is leaving the Heat in an incredible position. Like I said, they have Spo, who's a top 10 coach easily. Um, He should definitely get more power. I don't think he should get the... um, Kind of Stan Van Gundy role, the Tom Thibodeau role, um, just because I don't think that's a thing that works in the NBA, and we've talked about that before. Um, I think you have Andy Ellisberg, who's obviously has a huge role in the organization and kind of does more of the, I guess, day-to-day GM work, um, more so than Pat, who does more big-picture stuff. I think they're grooming um, Battier. Um, you got um, Nick Harrison, uh, Zo. You just have a lot of people who. Um, you don't need one person to replace Pat because that'd be impossible. Um, You just have a solid organization where a lot of people can take on just a little more responsibility and you're still in a great place and maybe even in a better place than you are with Pat because what I worry about with Pat is that trying to leave on that high championship high and getting a little impatient. Um, Not to say he's bad, but um, that is kind of a risk you run if you're entering every possible trade negotiation or anything with that type of mentality, you might get a little, little impatient. I think he's left the organization in a really good spot and he shouldn't be rushed out, but he should be able to leave knowing that Part of his greatness is the ability to build up Miami into what it is now.
3: I agree with Jack. Uh, I'm Obviously, these last four years have been tough for the franchise, uh, just as far as just gaining uh, popularity back from the fan base. So obviously, they've slipped over the past couple off seasons with signings and departures um, to some of the fan favorites. But I think we have to realize that no matter what happens on the roster, on the court, that front office is still stable. And not a lot of organizations around the league can say the same. Um, So with or without Pat Riley, you can at least kind of count on that. There's someone in that organization that can take that uh, next step. And, and, and I I agree with Jack. It's not going to be just one guy as much as we kind of believe that Shane Batty is going to be molded and groomed to be the next up and coming president of basketball operations. um, I, it's not going to just be him. Like as much as we love him, as much as, you think he's charismatic and he's great with the numbers and stats. You can relate to players and all that fun stuff. You have people like Andy. You have people um, uh, like Adam Simon who just know everything about the bas- about the game in basketball, transactions, numbers, cap. It's more than just being gaining relationships with players. It's there's so much more to it. And I think they have a good group of people in that organization that can take the next step, including Spell. I think spo will have a bigger role as uh as his career winds down too and um just looking at really quickly pat riley's seventy three um just i think a, a the next gradual step for Riley would be kind of like that Jerry West world right now, and he's currently eighty years old.
2: I can envision a scenario in which if Pat Riley does this for three or four more years that maybe spo does it without coaching and yeah. he just takes on a personnel role as kind of the next step of his career because I feel like 13, 14 years as the as the coach of one team is more than enough. Uh, in in terms of it, you've had your fill of coaching. Now, uh, maybe maybe he doesn't want to do that. But even if he does want to carry on doing both, like I'm okay with that. Like as much as we talk about it not working. I do think it's kind of been when, all right, we don't have anything as an organization, so we're turning to one person, like the Pistons did with Van Gundy, like the Clippers with Doc, where all of a sudden we have a leadership vacuum because, uh, you know, Donald Sterling is gone, so Doc Rivers do everything. I do think that San Antonio, it works because we know R.C. Buford. We know that he has a real role to play. And yes, you know, Pop has the final say, but we know that at the end, that R.C. Buford is a terrific general manager and will do a really good job. And I think that Spolster can kind of work the same way with Andy Ellisberg. Like, he's a damn good general manager, and we know that he's really good at his job, and we know that everyone there is really good at their job. So I think that the coach-president model can work in this particular case because we know so much about the participants, and we know so much about everyone that's there that they can – carry on in all their roles as you said jack doing a little bit more and eric spolsters the face of it
0: and i wouldn't be surprised at all if what you're talking about chris plays out uh with spo because i mean it's not just that he's one of the longest tenured coaches he's the second longest tenured coach in the league right now Mm -hmm. and he'll be first soon i mean as soon as pop steps aside he beats carlisle by a few days as as the second longest for his particular team and a couple of things you know that play into this and i've heard this from people around spo one um he just got married, has a baby, uh, has done a ton of travel, and he's also the type of person that likes to promote his guys, okay that he like mm-hmm. he's the type of person who, when when David Fisdale was interviewing for the Memphis job that like you know, I mean, the story about Spo running out of room at the Ritz-Carlton, basically, you know, pounding you know you know, you know, numbers and all this stuff for for Fisdale <laughs> for three days, right? to prepare him for the interview. And if you look at their staff right now, like there's no doubt in my mind that he's prepping Dan Craig. I mean, I you know right. he, he he and Dan are incredibly close. Um, they have sat next to each other on the plane now for the, for the past few years. He's given he's given Dan the reins. You know, not just at Sioux Falls, but also at Summer League. Uh, he's empowered him in a lot of ways. He sees himself in Dan. There's a lot of similarities there. Um, and he coached a
3: game like, when when Spo had the, when, when for Spoh- the birth of his son.
0: Exactly. So so I I I can absolutely see a scenario. You know, now that Fizz is in New York and he's not an option, where you know Dan Craig is the guy in two or three years, and Spo is in the front office. Now I can also see other scenarios for Spo. We've talked about this on the DM string. Like, if Seattle gets a team, that's going to be attractive. I mean, that's going to be very attractive because he's obviously from the Pacific Northwest. I know he still loves it up there. Um, I know he likes that city, and that's going to be really vibrant. And if I were, you know, running Seattle ownership, and who knows, it might be Dwayne Wade running Seattle ownership. As much as he talks about Seattle, I would think about making Eric Spolscher my president of basketball operations up there. So I, I don't know necessarily that Eric will be locked in here forever, but I can absolutely see him moving you know, to more of a front office role. All right. I want to get into Dwayne with you guys a little bit. Um, I, and look, I think everybody on the internet knows Whittingham's thoughts here. So I'm not even going to start with him. What? <laughs> let, let let me, let me go to the other two guys <laughs> here, on, here on this, because I mean, like you guys mentioned, I mean, there was Shaq, but I mean, Dwayne, ha- and there was LeBron, but Dwayne has been, you know, the superstar of your, you know, childhood, teenagehood, growing up, everything else. And so now he comes back at age 36. I think a lot of things have been made right, okay, in terms of what happened in 2016. But does this feel right to you guys? Like so far, the way that this is playing out this season, where he still has this bigger role on this team, is it okay for you guys if this team is, as long as he doesn't embarrass himself, he's still playing at a reasonably high level most nights? If this team is 41-41, and but it's a fun send-off season for Dwayne and he has a few moments, is is that enough for that to be what this season is about?
1: That's enough for me. Uh, I would obviously like to see them be better and see them give Dwayne a chance to go out on a high note. And honestly, 2016 was that year. If he was going to go out on a high note, he should have retired then. I'm not saying I'm glad or I'm mad that he kept playing in the NBA, I'm glad we get this farewell season from him. Um, I thought the Kobe send off was really cool, regardless of your feelings about him. And obviously the Lakers were terrible that year. Um, But yeah, it's just nice because Miami does not have a lot of sports figures like Dwayne Wade. Um, There really are very few left in the world. Uh, I would say um, Dirk is the only guy you could compare him to in terms of how much he means to a city. Um, In basketball, at least. Uh, And yeah, it's nice to know definitively that he's going to be gone after this year. Um, There's not a lot of pressure because he's obviously not very good right now. And there's not a lot of pressure because the team's not very good either. So they're not really losing much by playing him.
3: I'm going to take the opposite, and I'm going to say it's not going to be enough unless they do make a trade. And that trade probably needs to be Jimmy Butler just because he has such a close tie with Wade. Like, it almost seems like the perfect way to not just send Wade off, but also to kind of pass the baton over, pass that torch over and kind of take the new leadership over uh, for for the Heat. This new iteration with the young guys, well, depends who to give up, but I would assume that at least maybe one or two of the young guys still stay on the team along with Jimmy. Um, to me, that would be the the best way for for Heat to kind of continue on and and kind of regain some some momentum with the fan base. But at the same time, I think having Wade's final season, kind of having that closure, helps the fan base to take each game into stride until until his very last one. Hopefully, it's in the playoffs, but and most likely it's going to end in a loss, which is better sweet the same moment.
0: So when you guys look back at 2016 now and the whole way that that played out, did the heat make the right decision at that time
1: to not pay Wade? Yeah. I think so. Um I was obviously disappointed um <laughs> to say the least to see Dwayne leave the team. Um but I was always kind of on the position of the organization that yeah, maybe they should have um Dwayne had a point that uh he felt like he was entitled to a little more money given what he's um, done for the organization. Um, But financially, like they're already in a terrible cap position. They weren't in a great cap position when uh, during that off season, Um, they made the right move not to give him a bunch of money. And I hate to say it, but the fact that they got him back on a cheap contract and Dwayne Wade got paid like best of both worlds. Um, Miami's not paying the checks. Dwayne's still getting checks. Um, Yeah.
3: I think hindsight 2020 probably would have been better to give away that money instead of TJ and, and double down on TJ, no pun intended, but Dion waiters uh, wouldn't have been on the team that same off season as well. So you're looking at about $30 million that probably would have gone away this coming off season, which could have gone you in the market to go after one of these players such as Durant, Kyrie, uh, Clay Thompson, and Kawhi Leonard. So. But
2: but but I also don't think at the same time that you can say all right well you didn't pay Wade this amount of money which by the way like they, they were they still offered him a lot of money it was they sort did. of it, it was it was sort of variations of money that we're talking about but I I I don't think you can say well like opportunity cost because you don't pay Dwayne Wade is not well you're you're gonna pay Tyler Johnson and James Johnson and Deion Waiters and Kelly O'Linick and all these guys that you don't like like I, th- there was a lot more to be done there and that's. Pat Riley's fault, not Dwayne Wade's fault, or 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 the signing of Dwayne Wade is not his fault. I just want to say that I, I do think that even if the Heat do nothing from a transactional standpoint, I think we're not really at the stage yet where the Dwayne Wade emotional tour is having an impact, like as Alf wrote in his piece on, on Heat Beat, uh, that you don't feel that for his second to last away game in Charlotte. Like that's not an emotional tug. The emotional tug starts to come when there's five home games left, or it's his final, you know, it's it's his final trip to places that are actually significant. Like maybe even his last away trip to Dallas, given Miami's history with them, or San Antonio, or Golden State, or wherever, or, or Los Angeles for the Lakers. Like those are going to be where the emotions start to come in. Uh, we're not ready for that. I do think at the end of the season, even if they're in the middle of a playoff race to get into the seven or eight spots because maybe a couple of Eastern conference Conference teams are better than we might have anticipated, I still think that that emotion, even if the Heat do nothing, will be enough to carry them at the end. It's just not enough to carry you through the doldrums of December and January.
4: Hey, it's Seth Levitt from The Fish Tank here on the Five Reasons Sports Network. When I'm not riding OJ's coattails in the tank, I'm, well, riding Jason Taylor's coattails at the Jason Taylor Foundation. And this Monday night, November 5th, we've got one of our most popular fundraising events taking place as the Miami Dolphins Legend and First Ballot Hall of Famer hosts the 15th annual JT's Ping Pong Smash presented by Publix at the Seminole Hard Rock Event Center in Hollywood. Join JT and some of South Florida's best, including current and former Dolphins players, cheerleaders, local media personalities and more as they team up with generous community members like yourself to play in the original celebrity doubles table tennis tournament yes oj will be there as will ethan Skolnick and a number of your favorite five reasons personalities the smash is a great night out for families as it also features interactive games haircuts the best buy fun zone and more so come on out to jt's ping pong smash 15 this monday night november 5th doors open at 5 30 p.m and a mission for spectators is just a five dollar donation remember it's at the Seminole hard rock event center Center, so park in the winner's way garage. For more information, visit JasonTaylorFoundation.org or call nine five four four two four zero seven nine nine.
0: So let's close with this, uh, and let's try to do this rapid fire here. What is the absolute upside? What is the best case scenario for this season? I'll start with you, Chris. Uh, trading for
2: Jimmy Butler, Brian. W- was, was, was was that more rapid fire than? Uh, than oh, that's it. fine. I'll take it. I'll
3: take
2: it, <laughs> Brian. What you got?
3: Hearing for Jimmy Butler and Kemba Walker. Wow! Whoa!
0: Whoa! Whoa! whoa. Double okay. barrel trade. Wait! 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 wait. With whose assets? What? What? What are they? How are they? How are they what how, how, how are we throwing that in the trade machine, Brian? I
3: all four of Houston's first round picks. Okay. Well. That, well. Well.
0: Here's Just look. Kidding. No one thing that was thrown out, and and you know I know you guys have had both Sedano and Evan Cohen on the show, but you know, and both of them agree that Pat would never actually do this, but but they believe. That Pat should try to get the first round picks from Houston and basically if he has to trade some of the young core, then do it. Get the four first round picks from Houston
2: somehow. And then but what, do you, use- what do you have that's attractive as Jimmy Butler for the first for the first round picks?
0: Well, I mean, again, they're hot we're talking about protected first round mm-hmm. picks from a team that I know they're not playing well right now, but that was supposed to be a top four team in the league. So you're talking about bottom of the of the first round. So you know, look, could Houston use a player like Josh Richardson? I would think so, right? Like they don't no have question. Trevor Reed yeah. anymore. Okay, so they what could I'm use saying, the
3: James Johnson.
0: They exactly they could use a lot of these guys off their bench. So, so let and Josh would probably be a starter there. So let's just say that, and you know, they wouldn't have to play Carmelo anymore, which would be beneficial based on the numbers. So let's say that you could get a couple first round picks from Houston for your young pieces, and then you can use those first round picks to unload the contracts you don't like. And basically just start over, like just clean the decks as much as you possibly can, because the point you made, Winningham, about Windhorse, you know, I Brian's made that point to me, you know, just in conversation when we've talked that, you know, the biggest thing that he keeps hearing from people around the league is if Miami just had space, if Miami just had space and they don't right? (laughs) until, you know, likely 2020. And so they've taken themselves out of the room. And so, you know, his feeling and I know a lot of us feel this way is that they should be doing everything they can to get back in the room as soon as possible, even if it means sacrificing, you know, in the present. But it's just that's just not a pat thing to do. So anyway, Kemba Walker and Jimmy Butler would be uh, would be interesting, but don't think that's happening. All right, Jack, yours. What's the best case scenario for this season?
1: I think we all agree it's trading for Jimmy Butler. I would add without losing josh richardson or bam Adebayo, if they can get those three together i think that's your ideal situation
0: and otherwise what are they a seven seed an eight seed i tried to make the case that they may be in a struggle for seven and eight if charlotte and detroit hold up the way that they've held up early this season but do you guys see any scenario where they don't make
2: the playoffs no not at the moment i think so you do
3: yep i mean and what and we've we've that? already seen the team uh get injured starting off the season. I, I don't. I mean, we know that Goran Dragic is now dealing with a, a foot foot issue that he says is not surgery. Uh, he doesn't need surgery for, but he's still taking zone shots for. It. So, uh, if you lose Goran or if you lose Hassan again for extended stretches, it, it could put the team back to that position where they were two seasons ago. I, same, I I, same I, I, I just I
2: just don't see a world where so Milwaukee, Toronto, Boston, Indiana, Philly. Those are the five teams that we know like right. are 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 they go like right now, one of these teams would have to be better than miami well Washington, Washington's probably the most likely, but good God, they keep drifting uh, further and further at the bottom of the conference, and they need to make a trade. I oh, think can' you change my pick? There. no,
3: it's actually John Wall and Jimmy Butler, not Kim. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah yeah i I agree like and and a lot of people in Washington think that like that's an untradable contract just because of like how expensive he gets towards the end but I'd do John Wall in a second. Like that dude's a playoff series winner. Like I think if you had John Wall against Philly last year, like that might get you to a place where you can be a lot more competitive. Like I, and I don't think it would take that much. Like I think you can even give them some garbage that you don't want, particularly if you take Mahinmi back. So I, I absolutely think they can make that trade. I would rather have John Wall than Jimmy Butler. Actually,
0: if you're talking Ooh. about if you're talking about where the money's going to be at the end of that thing,
2: I, I would rather have John Wall. I think I, I, think, I think John Wall's got a bigger potential case of a career damaging injury like Jimmy Butler has nagging injuries that keep him out of 15 games a year but none that will keep him out for a season I think John Wall has a much better chance of that happening that would but be my J- concern
0: but but Jimmy also uh, but Jimmy also you know has played and I know there's been some dispute on this and Christian Hernandez has kind of pushed back on this a little from heat and talked about Jimmy's early years and not playing much but he's played a lot the last six years a lot okay and mm-hmm. Luel looks like he's 85 years old at this point. No, uh, no, no completely broke down. Um, Rose is resurrected from the dead. I'm, I'm not convinced that's actually the same person, but scored 50, but we know what happened with him. I'm just not totally convinced uh, that Jimmy's going to look great at age two, 32, 33, 34. It's never really been a question I, about walls conditioning either. And honestly, if you're talking about attitude, you know, I've I've never had a problem with John Wall's attitude. Like, I know there are some that don't like mm-hmm. him. Colin Cowards taking some ridiculous shots at him, but like, I I every time I've dealt with it, I'll tell you this: this is just personal experience dealing with both of them. I like John Wall a lot better. <laughs> maybe that maybe that's bias in this, but I also although John Wall has had issues. With Brad Beal and others, I, I always sort of get the sense it's not his fault. Whereas Jimmy's had an issue with everybody, like everybody but Dwayne. He had he had issues with Noah. He had issues with Rose when they were together in Chicago the first time, uh, and then obviously he's got issues with Towns and, and to a lesser degree Wiggins. Now I, I'm gonna pull that tonight, guys. Uh, who would you rather have if you could just have one? I, I would rather have John. I'd rather have Bradley Beal than either of
2: them. Can but I, I, would can rather, I can I can I pitch you to... can I pitch you my fake trade? Yes, pitch it. Okay, who so. Says, So it's uh, John Wall, Jan Mahinmi, and Austin Rivers who's on an expiring $12 uh, $12 million deal for Whiteside, Dragic, and Dion Waiters. Who says no?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think both teams might say yes on that to be honest oh, really? i mean it, washington just needs to fix it like they need they need yeah. to do something they got to split up that
2: backcourt make beal the star make porter the complimentary mm-hmm. piece, and I'm, I'm giving you back your starting point guard and your starting center and maybe someone if deon waiters ever gets healthy again that can contribute off the bench well you also got dwight there right now right dwight, right. Dwight. Imagine
3: right dwight with <laughs> <laughs> i
0: didn't even consider that that's brilliant well, we know why. Look, the reality is, even though Dwight's numbers have been good the last few years, none of his teams have, right? Like right. A- every team And Dwight every team is to happy
2: it. to see the back of him.
0: Right. So I-, I think that's actually the reason for it. All right, Jack, you're the only one who hasn't weighed in on this, I don't believe. Is there any chance they don't make the playoffs?
1: Health permitting, I think they're a playoff team. Uh, Brian mentioned this, but there's always a chance that everything can collapse uh, and you just don't really have- a playable roster. He, but he can't stay healthy. healthy. Yeah, but like if they can stay somewhat healthy, they're a low-end playoff team. And that's just kind of a testament to how bad the bottom of the East is.
0: Check them out at Alfonso Hoops, at by Brian Goins, and if you really want to, at Chris Whittingham. I'm at Ethan J. Skolnick, also at Five Reason Sports, although all the bad tweets about the Heat are Chris.
3: We'll talk to you What? Soon. <laughs> no, Jack has the best tweets. They're all trash. <laughs>